Hey everyone, I'm Renee Bennett. Consider me the girl next door, having conversations that will help challenge and shape your worldview in a culture that has turned our moral compass upside down and inside out. To chat with me further, come join me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast. No topics are off limits. I'm really glad you're here. Now, on to today's episode. Hello everyone. It's wonderful to be with you on what is probably a lovely Wednesday. I'm actually in Melbourne this week. So as you guys are downloading this and listening, I'm actually interstate, but I didn't want you to miss out on an episode this week because I know that you'd be very upset if you missed out, if you went along and there was no new episode dropping. And so it is Sunday night. I've had a big day. I preached this morning. I didn't sleep very well last night. Do you guys have those days I'm usually a pretty good sleeper, but last night I kept waking up every half an hour and thinking, I've got to preach, I've got to preach. You know, when you've got something on, that was my night. So anyway, I'm feeling a little bit tired, but I didn't want to go to bed without recording this before I go into state. So what I want to do over the next few weeks, because I know that you've been enjoying the change up of me dropping double episodes or a bonus episode. Now, I want to, over the next few weeks, fill up what's called a mental resilience toolbox for you. It is in response to the collection that we've just been doing, Pop Psychology. Now, there are a lot more uh, topics that I could have covered in Pop Psychology, but I wanted to kind of change up and flip um, the way that I wanted to approach the next lot of topics that I wanted to talk about. So, I'm going to be dropping a whole bunch of mini episodes, probably like 10, 15 minutes. Each one might be a little bit different in length, all on different topics to do with mental resilience. And the aim of this, almost like I thought of it like little popcorn episodes. I don't know why I thought of the word popcorn, but I just did. But just these mini episodes. So you can go back and go, oh, you know, I'd love to hear a bit more about this or Um, And it's going to be all to do with mental resilience. So you can just look at the topic and then just choose that and pull it out. And I guess I'm just trying to build a bit of a, a, a mental resilience toolbox for you. Now, I wanted to start in the Bible today. And I want to start by having a quick look at someone that for those of you that have a Christian worldview, for those of you that know the Bible, we all know about Elijah. Now, the thing that's fascinating about Elijah, this prophet who did so many amazing things and was such this you know incredible man in the Bible, and yet he was known to have suffered from depression and anxiety. And this is where I wanted to start because we're talking about mental health. And so I thought this was a great place to start. And I'm going to read to you what happened to Elijah, and then we're going to go from there. Now, this comes from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 3 to 7. And it says, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. And he'd just done something incredible, but now he's afraid. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. 
I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. Now, I wanted to make this point and this I'm just setting the tone for what I'm doing with this mental resilience toolbox. This generation is not the first one to be anxious. We can see right back in the Bible that someone like Elijah had clearly some depression and some anxiety going on. He didn't even want to live anymore. Now, mental health disorders, as we now call them, are nothing new. But what is new is our absolute obsession with them. What is new is diagnosing almost half a generation with them. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't a place to acknowledge mental health and to talk about it, right? Like, it's real. I just read you a story out of the Bible. We can see that with Elijah. He was depressed. He was anxious. So I'm not saying that it's not real and that it's uh, it shouldn't be acknowledged or talked about. But what I'm seeing now is unprecedented in that we are staying stuck in those places, But what's interesting about this story, and this is a great foundation to start this mental resilience toolbox, the Lord did not allow Elijah to stay there. He sent an angel and he said, hey, you need to rest and you need to eat properly. And the angel prepared him some food and he ate and slept and then he woke up and he ate and he slept again. What was he doing? The Lord was providing him with time and space to heal. Now notice the word heal. It means that is he could he could move on again. So he needed that moment to take a breath, to stop, to recognize and to heal so that he could move on again. And this is what I'm saying. If the enemy can paralyze a generation, then he can rob them of their destinies. And I believe with all my heart that the destiny of this young generation is incredible. But the enemy is coming in and paralyzing a generation with all of these mental health disorders. Now, like I mentioned in a recent episode, someone said to me recently, oh, you're really passionate about mental health. And I'm like, no, I am passionate about mental resilience. Why? Because that is the way forward. Because I'm called to see a young generation reach their full God potential, not to be paralyzed. You know, God could have left Elijah under that tree. He could have let him sit there and wallow in it and stay there for weeks and weeks and weeks, but he didn't. He's like, you know what? Let's acknowledge it. Let's make the changes that we need to make, and then let's move on. Let's not be paralyzed in this place. 
So when it comes to mental health, what I can see is the pendulum has swung too far the other way. So it swung from perhaps having little to no acknowledgement of our mental health to now going the other way and seeing a constant reflecting on it and talking about it and naming it. And my observation is that when I look at the fruit of that, it is not making a generation get up and fight. It's making them sit down in defeat. And our obsession is making us less resilient, not more. Now, as you guys know, I've been a teacher for a very, very long time. I have worked with young people all around the country and the world for a very long time. I've raised my own three kids. And sometimes the narratives in society get this stronghold and nobody is allowed to challenge that. The reason I've told you again and reminded you of my background is because I do have the experience and a longevity of working with young people to be able to challenge the narrative that I'm seeing. Now, if this mental health narrative was working, then shouldn't we be seeing much happier, stronger people? But the fact is we are not. And let me give you a few stats. And like I said, I'm just setting up here the platform for what I want to do with this mental resilience toolbox. And I'm purposely calling it mental resilience, not mental health. Because it's funny, even though they talk about mental health, what they're actually referring to are all of the disorders associated. Now here in Australia, and these are brand new statistics that were released in July of last year, 44% of our 16 to 85 year olds are estimated to have experienced a mental disorder at some time in their life. 21% of our population have experienced one in the last 12 months. And almost 40% of our young people, that is 16 to 24 year olds, have already had a 12 month mental disorder. So we're not talking about a few weeks or a month, we're talking about a year, not with just, you know, a little challenge, an actual diagnosed mental health disorder. So this is what we're going to do over the next few weeks. We don't need endless conversations. What we need are strategies and solutions that can help rebuild this generation's emotional and mental resilience. So over the next few weeks, I'm going to release a bunch of mini episodes. And like I said, I want this to be a toolkit for you on mental resilience. So you can listen back at any time if you need to hear about a particular topic. So what we're going to do today, I'm going to release two. Today's is on shame. And then the second one I'm going to release is about trauma. So today I want to talk about four ways that shame can be a positive emotion. Now, you're probably already shocked, like what the heck? How can shame be a positive emotion? But I want to give you today four ways that if you and all of us at times suffer shame, how it can actually be a positive emotion. Now, we all know what shame is. Now, there are different kinds of shame. There are different reasons for shame. But really, shame is a feeling of embarrassment or humiliation. 
And it can arise out of two different places. Either it arises from the perception that we've done something wrong or dishonorable or immoral or improper, or it can arise because of what someone else has done to us, a situation that someone else has put us in. Now, usually when it comes to shame, we try to hide the thing that we feel ashamed about. And sometimes it can actually be hard to recognize shame. So that's where I want to start. Now, I found it hard when I was younger um, to understand that a lot of the behaviors I was displaying actually came from a place of rejection. And I remember reading this book that listed all of the resulting behaviors when you have a root of rejection. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's me. Judgmental, perfectionist, there's a whole bunch of others. So let's just go through some of the reactions that you might have from um, what actually is stemming from shame. Your reaction might be that you are sensitive. You might be worried about what others may think. You may feel that others are taking advantage of you. You might feel inadequate. You might be afraid to look stupid. You might want to be the person that always has the last word. You could be afraid to feel your thoughts or your feelings. You might feel like an outsider or feel left out. You might have a habit of shutting others out and withdrawing. Uh, You might be engaging in people-pleasing, or uh, you might be an overachiever or a perfectionist, or another root of shame often is uh, displayed with compulsive or excessive behaviors like overeating or strict dieting or excessive cleaning. So all of these different behaviors can come from a root of shame. Now, there are different kinds of shame, okay? Like I said before, the two different kinds are firstly the shame that we inflict upon ourselves through our own behavior, okay? So this could be things like shame of being overweight or shame of drinking too much, or maybe you're a people pleaser and you you are not being true to yourself. Uh, There could be the shame that comes with addiction or a mistake that we've made in the past or Uh, maybe just something as simple as we've been really unkind to someone and not treated someone properly. Uh, We could have set too high a standard for ourselves, and we can't meet those standards, or maybe we experience failure. Other kinds of shame, the second kind is the shame that's been inflicted on us because of someone or something else. So all kinds of abuse, a rejection from someone leaving us. We maybe have been humiliated by someone else. Maybe we've been bullied. It could have been rooted in an experience from childhood. We can even feel shame from the kind of family that we've grown up in or the house that we've grown up in or the suburb that we live in. There can be so many different things in our life that can cause us shame. And I know for some of you, you might be listening and going, oh my gosh, I didn't really understand that about myself. So maybe this is a light bulb moment for you. So it is really important that we understand that difference between the healthy shame and the toxic shame. The healthy shame being the one that, uh, you know, we feel terrible because we've actually done something bad and we feel bad about what we've done, uh, as opposed to toxic shame where someone else um, has, well, we feel bad, but it's because of something that someone else has done. So let's look at the four different ways that uh, shame can be an incredibly powerful emotion for personal growth. The first one is this, number one, healthy shame actually leads to healthy guilt. 
I know, right? Did you ever think that guilt could be a good thing? Well, it is. Healthy shame leads to healthy guilt. So just like there's healthy shame and toxic shame, there's healthy guilt and toxic guilt. All right, so we're not talking about toxic guilt, which is false guilt, which means you feel something guilty for something that you shouldn't feel guilty about, right? That's bad. You you need to flick that off. But what we're talking about is healthy shame that makes us feel a sense of healthy guilt or remorse because we've acted badly. And that's a good thing because it actually helps us to contain ourselves when what we would rather do is lash out and hurt someone. Now, I'm actually surprised at how little shame and guilt many people feel these days about how they speak to other people on social media. That's just one example. I think some people could do with a little bit more of a healthy dose of healthy shame and healthy guilt. Healthy shame actually makes sure that we behave as decent human beings to one another. It actually means we have to exercise self-control, and that is a fruit of the Spirit. And it's mature people who let healthy guilt remind us of our humanity and how truly imperfect we all are. So that's number one. Number two, the second reason shame can be a positive emotion, it actually serves as a guidepost to live according to your own values. What do I mean? Well, healthy shame is there to let you know, hey, you've stepped outside the boundaries of your own values. And that helps you to see where you need to make some corrections in your behavior. So again, the healthy shame is leading to a positive in your life because you're like, hey, it's actually a really good guidepost. I've stepped outside of my values and my boundaries. Number three, it empowers you to make changes. You know, one of the best parts of being human is that we have the ability, if we're willing, to make changes anytime that we want to. Now, until the pain of what we're doing now starts starts to outrun the perceived pain of change, we won't make the change. Let me say that again, until the pain of what we're doing right now starts to outrun the perceived pain of change, we won't make the change. So what we can do is lean into our pain and know that we're not stuck in a perpetual cycle of shame. We can use it as an incredibly powerful springboard into growing and moving toward being a better person. We're all human. We all make mistakes. And so uh, we can give ourselves a little bit of space and go, hey, I'm going to use this to empower me to make changes in my life. And number four, shame is very powerful in that it helps us to extend grace to other people when they make mistakes. If we understand that we are human, then we need to extend that to others. And it's when we lean into our mistakes and use them for personal growth that we have more compassion to allow others to do the same. So let me go through those four reasons again on why shame can be a positive emotion. Number one, healthy shame leads to healthy guilt. 
And we know that that means we're going to have a whole heap more self-control. Number two, healthy shame serves as a guidepost to live according to our own values and boundaries. Number three, healthy shame empowers you to make necessary changes. And number four, healthy shame helps us extend grace to others when they've made a mistake. And you put all those four together and it makes us, you know, something that could have been a negative, which is shame. It turns it around and makes us into a better and stronger human being and definitely a more compassionate one towards other people. So there you go. That is our first little installment in a mental resilience toolbox. Um, Come along to the next episode. I'm going to give you 10 reasons that trauma made me stronger. I'll see you in the next episode.